The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. Well, Norris Ferry, thank you all for having me back here. It's been uh, a few years, two to three years, since I've been behind this pulpit. So, uh, if, for those of you who don't know, back in 2014, 2015, I was an intern here, and uh, and so it's good to be back here again. As Kevin said, I've since gone into biblical counseling. Uh, and I'm excited about our text today because it's right in line with what I do. Um, so, let's jump into it. This morning, we're looking at this, this topic, the jealousy of God. The jealousy of God. That What we just sung about, that, that God is jealous for me. That God is jealous for you. Now, up front, I just want to ask, does anybody have a problem with that idea? Does it make you uneasy? Do you have trouble singing that? Some of us are like, love it, God's jealous for me. But some of us really have a hard time with that. For those of you who do have a hard time, you are in the good company of Oprah Winfrey. 35 years ago, Oprah was uh, in a sermon where they were going actually through the attributes of God. And they were uh, talking about how God is everywhere. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And uh, then the minister got to a, a point, what the topic of our text today, and he read, The Lord thy God is a jealous God. And for Oprah... That was it. That began her turn away from the Christian church. She didn't understand. She couldn't accept God as a jealous God. It seems like to me Oprah didn't see the jealousy of God as good news, but as bad news. This morning, James argues the exact opposite. That the jealousy of God is in fact good news. Not only is it good news, it's central to the gospel. Now, before we get into the jealousy of God, we have to talk about the jealousy of man. Um, the jealousy of man is, is an ugly thing. It's, it's a hard thing to hear. Um, it's, it's convicting. But it is the way to understanding the jealousy of God. So I ask that you would just bear with me as we get through the bad news. Alright, so verse 1, let the bad news begin. James starts with a question and answer. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James is asking, what, what's the cause of conflict? Now, conflict is not necessarily bad. Uh, conflict is not necessarily uh, sinful. Jesus himself had conflict all the time. But what James is talking about is fighting. He's talking about quarreling. He's talking about sinful conflict here. And he wants to know, what is the cause of that kind of conflict? And his answer, he says, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
James says it's our passions that make us fight and quarrel. That word passions, you probably have a note in your Bible. It could also be translated pleasures. It's the same word we get our, our English hedonism from. In other words, the thing that causes fights and quarrels among us is that I want to be pleased. It's, it's about my pleasure. It's about I want things my way. My three-year-old Judah's one of his favorite things to say right now is, I want to do what I want to do. And he says it all the time if he's leaving a friend's house, if we tell him it's time for bed, I want to do what I want to do. Now, we're not really all that different from Judah. Um, actually, we're, we're the exact same. We just have a filter so that before those words get out of our mouth, it, it, it stops. But that's exactly, uh, that's, that's a, a very helpful look at the human heart. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to do what my wife wants me to do. I don't want to do what God wants me to do, the government, my boss, my friends. I want to do what I want to do. James says that that is the source of sinful conflict. James goes on in verse 2 to say the same thing two more ways. This, this time he puts the cause first and then the sin that is a result of that cause. He says, you desire and do not have. That's the cause. So you murder. That's the sin. You covet and cannot obtain. That's the cause. And so you fight and quarrel. That's the sin. That word desire, James says you desire and do not have. The word desire is elsewhere translated as lust. Uh, it's, it's literally an over-desire. It, it's a desire that is too much, a desire that is out of bounds. Um, and, and so um, it's, it's what Tim Keller calls an inordinate desire. Um, so, in other words, it's okay to want a husband. It's okay to want a wife. It's not okay to make a, a wife or husband the central pursuit of your life. It's okay to want children. It's okay to desire a house. It's okay to, uh, to, to, to want success in a business. It's not okay to demand those things. It's okay to want approval and respect. It's okay to want to be liked by people. It's okay to want peace and quiet. It's not okay to be dominated by a need for these things. The problem is not with the object of our desire. The problem is that we want it too much. The problem is not that we want things. The problem is that we are jealous for things. I'm going to pick on my three-year-old again. Um, uh, about a year ago, Judah got this Jeep. It's one of those blue little Jeeps that you pedal along like the Flintstones. has the, the bottoms out of it. And uh, and. 
when he got it, he wasn't quite tall enough in order for his legs to, to, to reach the ground. And even now, he can't quite put his feet firmly on the ground, so he can't control this little blue Jeep very well. Well, the other day, we were in the backyard, and um, I was doing some yard work. Judah was uh, in his blue Jeep, and, and poor guy, the, the, the little casters on the wheels were getting stuck. The, uh, the wheels were, were getting jammed in the, in the, in the roots of the, of the tree, um, he was on grass, and so he, he couldn't really pick up speed on the, on, the, on the ground. And I just noticed him just getting more and more frustrated. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And I just, he, his face started getting red. He started grabbing the steering wheel, and he started hitting his head against the ceiling of the car. And, and anyway, so I'm just kind of letting it go, see what happens. Next thing I know, this is probably two minutes later. It didn't take long to escalate. Judah gets out of the car, slams the door, picks it up on the side, and throws it over. And then he runs up, kicks the side of it, heaves it over again. And I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with my child? What is, what, what is, but really, what is wrong with him? What is causing him to do that? Now, that, that Jeep is absolutely frustrating. It is absolutely provoking him. But it cannot be, according to James, the cause of his uh, temper. Um, James, according to James, is the cause not this, that his passions are at war within him? Is it not, that, is it not this, that he was jealous for fun? That he inordinately desired this fun. And so in, but it, because he didn't get it, he fought and quarreled with this little blue Jeep. Once again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have fun. But the problem is when you want it so badly that when you don't get it, you lose it. It controls you. James goes further in verse 3. And he points out that our hearts not only affect our relationships with people in the horizontal, but with God in the vertical. James says, You ask and do not receive, speaking of prayer, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When my life is about me, when my, it makes my relationships about me. But also, when my life is about me, it makes my relationship with the Lord about me. So when I go to Him in prayer, I'm, I'm going to rub a magic genie to fulfill my wishes. I don't want to pursue His glory. I want Him to pursue mine. I don't want to pursue His will. I want Him to do mine. I, want him, I don't want to glorify Him. I want Him to glorify me. Now, because of, of, um, because of this, the very next thing James says in verse 4 is, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You see, our, our sin not only reveals a heart with disordered desires, but it reveals a, a heart with disordered worship. 
you may remember, uh, now, just so you know, he's not claiming that we're all adulterers. He's claiming that we have committed adultery on God. You may remember the, the uh, series through Hosea that we went through a few years ago. And in that, in that series, the primary metaphor for, uh, for God and Israel is that of husband and wife. And Hosea says over and over and over um, that Israel, through its worship of false gods, through giving its heart over to these things that are not God, that Israel has committed adultery on God. James is saying that we are no different. James is saying that wherever there is sin, there is adultery. Wherever there is sin, there is a worship problem. On this note, Tim Keller says this, The Ten Commandments begin with two commandments against idolatry. That's, that's, uh, you shall help me out, David. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me, and you make no idols of me. Then come commandments 3 through 10. Why this order? It is because the fundamental problem in lawbreaking is always idolatry. In other words, we never break commandments 3 through 10 without breaking 1 and 2. Idolatry is ultimately the reason for all wrongdoing. Why do we ever lie or steal or covet? Of course, the general answer is because we are weak and sinful. But the specific answer is because there is something besides Jesus Christ that we feel we must have to be happy. Something that is more important to our hearts than God. Something that is enslaving our hearts through inordinate desires. All our failures to trust God wholly or to live rightly are rooted in idolatry in something that we make more important than God. So, that's the bad news. That the sin beneath every sin is a false worship. That the sin beneath every sin is idolatry. So our our sin is actually worse than than it may look on the surface. Um, Underneath our fights and quarrels, Underneath our our pornography, our drunkenness, underneath our gossip, underneath all of it is an idolatry problem, is a worship problem. Um, If we're breaking commandments 3 through 10, like he said, we're also breaking commandments 1 and 2. If we're not loving our neighbor as ourselves, guess what? We're loving something besides the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. All right, so the bad news is over. We've heard it. We've heard the bad news about our jealous hearts. Now we get to the good news. The jealous heart of God. Verse 5, James says, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God created us with a a soul that is meant to worship Him. God designed our hearts to love Him above all other things. 
And so he is jealous when we love things besides him. He is jealous when we worship things other than him. He made our bodies to, to serve him alone as master. And so he is jealous when we serve other masters, when we obey other masters. Now, what is that jealousy saying? What does jealousy really mean if I'm jealous for something? When you're jealous for someone or something, you're saying, that's, that's mine. That, that belongs to me. That's, that's, that's my boyfriend. That's my wife. That's my husband. That belongs to me. So when the Lord sees us flirting with the world, he says, no, David, you're mine. When the Lord sees us being seduced by our desires and, and also seducing the objects of our di- desires, he says, no, you belong to me. You're mine. And this, this is the part of this text that just blows me away. Because despite how much we sin against the Lord, despite how much we sin against one another, we are wanted. Despite how much we have betrayed God, we are wanted. Despite the daily ways that we prove unworthy of His love, we are still wanted. Matt Chandler tells the story of a, a Christian concert he went to um, in, in college. And it, he's, he's, uh, he's thinking it's just a concert, and they kind of surprise him with a preacher halfway through, one of those type of things. And uh, this preacher gets up, and and first thing he does, he, he, he takes out a, this rose, okay, and he, he, he gives it to the crowd. And he says, I want, I want everybody here to, to, to smell the rose. I want you to feel the texture of the rose. I, I want you to, to, to really uh, get a handle of this rose. And then he, he launches into what, what Matt Chandler says, one of the worst messages on sex that he has ever heard. Okay, And by the end of the sermon, when, when, it, when he's done with this, this, this terrible uh, uh, diatribe, he says, all right, where's, where's my rose? Somebody, where's my rose? So somebody brings him back that, this rose, and, and, you know, it's been passed around by hundreds of people, and so the rose is, is it's falling apart. The, the petals are ripped. The, the stem is, is breaking. And, and the, the whole crescendo of this guy's message, the whole point of it is to hold up that rose and say, now who would want this? Who would want this, this, this broken, torn-up rose? He's, he's making the comparison of who would want a sinner that has defiled themselves like this rose? At this point, Matt Chandler says this, I remember feeling anger, real, legitimate, like I want to hurt him, anger. And it was all I could do not to scream out, Jesus wants the rose. That's the point of the gospel, that Jesus still wants that screwed up rose. Likewise, 
for us. Despite our idolatrous hearts, despite the countless ways we betray the Lord, despite our sin and conflict, God is still jealous for us. In college, I had a roommate who we'll just call Ken. Um, Ken, at one point, he was just, he was having a rough year. Um, he, he, he had started eating really bad, and so he gained 25, 30 pounds. Um, he stopped exercising. Uh, my wife's smiling because she knows who it is. Um, he had graduated, but he wasn't really sure what he wanted to do with his life. And so he was, he was, he was uh, sleeping in, waking up at the crack of noon, that t- sort of thing. And, um, you know, his, his girlfriend was constantly mad at him uh, just for, for being a jerk. And um, so anyway, in, in, at one point in this season, I remember him, he, he, this is mid-morning, 10.30 or so. I remember him walking out of his bedroom door just, just in his boxers. And he, he looked at me and he goes, man, I'm just sloppy. And that's what we are. We're a sloppy people. We try, we can't get it together. We're undisciplined, our our hearts are wandering, we're selfish jerks. But we're wanted by Jesus, even though we're sloppy. Now, of course, God is not jealous in the same way that we are jealous. Okay, God does not need us. God does not have a hole in his heart that he has to have us to fill. One of the other attributes of God is that he is totally, utterly independent and self-sufficient. God does not need our love. He is not desperate for our love. He's not wringing his hands saying, if they would only love me. But... He is jealous for things to be made right. He is jealous to have the worship that is due His name. He is jealous for us to live in the way that we were intended to for His glory. Don't let His lack of need for us make you think that He does not want us. Don't think that just because he is totally independent and self-sufficient apart from us, don't let that make you think that he is not also fiercely jealous for us. So, you see, the jealousy of God is good news. Because it means we're wanted. In fact, the jealousy of God is what propelled Jesus to the cross. It was with a jealous love that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. It was a jealous love that God demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was with a jealous love that God, that Christ, on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified, said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long, how often I have longed to gather you as a chick, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. It was a jealous love 
that, that caused him to go to the cross for us. And it's only by that cross, it's only by that, that Christ who was crucified out of jealous love that James can say what he does in verse 6. But he gives more grace. What a line. To me, that, that's one of the most underrated lines in all of Scripture. That he gives more grace. Grace. As we become less and less worthy throughout our lives of God's love, sinning each day, racking up more and more of, of a debt apart from Christ, God's grace abounds all the more. God's grace invites us initially to trust Him for the salvation of sin. And God's grace also abides on us as we struggle and fight against sin the rest of our lives. God's grace bids you come as you are today and be set free, be forgiven. But God's grace also sanctifies us tomorrow and the next day and the next. Of all the sin, of all the idolatry, of all the sloppiness in our hearts. God's grace, in spite of all that we read in James 4, 1 through 5, God gives more grace. But notice now where James goes next. That same verse, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, first, it, it's very clear in, in Scripture that God gives grace to the humble. Um, you know, the, the sacrifices of our God are a broken and contrite heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. It's the repentant tax collector who goes down to his house justified. So, it's clear that God gives grace to the humble. But what's surprising about this text is that God is also gracious toward the proud by opposing them. The text says, God gives more grace, therefore he opposes the proud. We see this all the time in Jesus' ministry. When he comes up against the, the Pharisees, um, he is tough. He's loving, but he is tough. He opposes them. He makes them mad. We see this when the rich, the proud rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus gives them this incredibly tough challenge. Give everything you own to the poor. And Mark tells us, actually, that Jesus said this in love to the man. We see this sometimes in Jesus' rebukes of his own disciples. He tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. That, that's, that's pretty tough. We should see this in our own lives as well. As, we, as the Lord allows trials and sufferings into our lives, um, he's doing that in order to humble us so that we can be in a place to receive him. 
Um, he's gracious. He is jealous. And therefore, he gives this grace of our trials and sufferings in order to recapture that heart to worship him, to desire him. That's why, as James said in chapter 1, count it all joy as you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because those things are the very things that God is using to bring us back to himself. Now, when a sheep strays from the shepherd, shepherd goes over, gets the sheep back, puts them back in the flock. The sheep goes over again. He grabs the sheep, brings it back to the flock. But in some cultures, when the sheep strays again and again and again and again and again, the shepherd will actually go over, take the sheep, and break one of its legs, and then put the sheep over its shoulders and walk around with that sheep until that leg heals. After that, sheep doesn't stray anymore. A new bond has been created between the shepherd and the sheep. Sometimes that's exactly what the Lord does in our lives. When again and again and again we proudly resist Him, wander from Him, betray Him, again and again, He gives what C.S. Lewis calls severe mercies. It's merciful, but it's severe. Because that's what it takes sometimes. These are trials that are devastating and painful. But once they've, once they've run their course, they bring healing. They bring life. They bring restoration. The last four verses of our text are just a repeated call to repentance and faith in this jealous God who wants us. God's jealous love beckons us away from these idols. God's jealous love beckons us away from glorifying ourselves to glorify Him. And follow with me from verses 7 to 10. I'm just, just going to just summarize what he's saying in each one. Verse 7, he calls us to submit to God's rule over our lives rather than attempting to rule ourselves. Verse 8, he calls us to resist the devil's temptation to find life in this world and instead draw near and find life in God. And we, in verse 8, again, he calls us away from a pursuit of our own will, the, the outward sins of our hands, the inward sins of our hearts, back to a pursuit of his will. In verse 9, we're called to grieve over the ways we've been unfaithful to our jealous, loving God. In verse 10, we're called to humble ourselves under, under the weight of these trials and sufferings. Humble ourselves and return to Him. So you see, Jesus calls us again and again back to Himself. He's not angry. He is jealous. He wants us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. Because it's only as that vertical relationship is restored that our horizontal relationships can begin to be restored. It's only as our hearts begin to worship rightly 
that we can begin to desire rightly. As one Puritan preacher says, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is the expulsive power of a new affection. As we're, as we're sitting here with all this, this idolatry and sin coming out of that, the way out of all of that is through a new worship. It's through something that is more desirable that captures our hearts. So whatever sinful mess you are in, you got there through worship. Therefore, the way out of that sinful mess is also through worship. You have a God who is jealous for your heart's affection. Give it to him. You you have a God who is jealous for the devotion of your life. Give it to him. You have a God who is jealous for your worship. He wants you. Give yourself to him. Let's pray. Lord, what good news. That it doesn't matter where we are. You want us. And that in order to make that happen, you sent your son for us. Not because we are worthy, not because we are um, uh, deserving. Simply because you want us. You created us to worship you. You designed us to work as worshipers of you. Lord, it's hard to sort all of these things out in our hearts. It's hard to um, try and, 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 and figure these sorts of things out. Why are we quarreling and fighting? Lord, I, I pray that, that your spirit would come and, and enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Not only so that we can see our sin, but so that we can see you. Not only so that we can um, uh, see our idolatry, but so that we can worship the true king. Lord Jesus, this, this is not a work that we can do on our own. We have proven that we are sloppy people. But Lord, we know that you want to do this work within us. So Lord, would you come? Would you give us um, your power, your strength, your humility through your spirit so that we can turn to you, our jealous God, and be renewed? It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.